Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Follow me at Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter. And even though Dave had to bounce for a flight to Colorado to catch his beloved buffs against USC, you can still follow him on Twitter as well, at Dave Briggs TV. It's a college football weekend for us. He's going to Colorado USC tonight. I will be on the call of San Jose State and Army tomorrow at noon on CBS Sports Network. It's a West Point weekend for me. Remember, we are less than five minutes of commercial breaks per hour, which is insane, but we do it. And we do it for you because we know you don't want commercials. You want content. You want guys like Pete Thamel, one of the best, if not the best, college football writers in the world. He's been it for quite some time. And I should probably just say the United States because I'm guessing there aren't a lot of international college football writers, Pete. No, you know, uh, there's 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 times where I've been tempted to like move to the French Riviera or Tuscany, but I realize my skill set would be fairly diminished there. Uh, so, but if they were to open, I would I would happily be an inaugural uh, beat writer. There you go. Hey, Pete, I was just real. I just saw a tweet from somebody that all these teams have two buys this year, and yeah. next weekend the amount of buys next weekend is insane what what happened here you know i, I think it's just a, a scheduling logistic when things started when things ended a, a, a stat that could be a byproduct of this process is that the national title game this year is i believe on january 13th and the semifinals are on december 28th so explain that right there's gonna be a 13-day break and dozens of bowls in between the alleged two most important dates on on the calendar. So the schedule is all sorts of sideways and uh, and on its head. But you remember we had week zero, and then the the first weekend of the season, I believe, was August thirty first. So it's uh, it's slowly slowly stretching to the point where uh, where where somehow it's going to devour my Fourth of July. I'm convinced. <laughs> um, I, I want to get to. It's funny. Every week, somehow, there's something Jim Harbaugh related that we need to ask you about, which is weird, right? But it's just – that's one of the things he has done for Michigan is it just seems like they're always relevant. They're always in the news, more so than when Brady Hoke was there or Rich Rod was there. This week, it was a letter to the Michigan players and their parents saying, hey, don't listen to these rumors – I got to be honest with you, Pete, I hadn't heard the rumors about Harbaugh and an exit strategy for the NFL. So my cynicism kind of came out and my initial reaction was, what a great way for Harbaugh to try to let NFL teams know, hey, he's open, he's available by having this letter of, oh, all this NFL interest, don't listen to it. Plus, he also wins by people saying, oh, he's such a great guy and he's staying and blah, blah, blah. What was your read and take on the Harbaugh letter? And is there 
interest from the NFL in Jim Harbaugh still? You know, I thought the I thought the letter itself, Ross, was a little bit self-serving. It was not, let's just say, a mainstream website with uh, with the credibility to rebut those claims that that put out the the notion that Harbaugh was plotting to to go to the NFL. And, and I'll, I'll say this, and I've said it for for a few years: the NFL interest in Jim Harbaugh is next to none. And the reason why is he was a Super Bowl caliber coach in San Francisco. No one can argue the results of what he did there. But he was so maniacal to work with. And the organization in San Francisco's effort, efforts to undercut a guy who'd proven to be a Super Bowl caliber coach, essentially in a billion-dollar business, an effective CEO who can make you tens of millions of dollars. And they went week after week with leaks and stories and they basically ran him out like i've never seen an nfl franchise chase out a successful coach it was completely unprecedented and the nfl is a small place the owners are small circles i don't think anyone wants to deal with that level of high maintenance that jim harbaugh had now the 49ers organization certainly is its own paragon of dysfunction so i don't want to this isn't like this happened at the steelers right or the patriots or whatever it is but I really think NFL franchises, with the, the mediocrity that he's shown in competitive games at Michigan, combined with the ugliness of his exit from San Francisco, makes me strongly believe that the interest in him and the NFL would really only come down to one team. And that's the Miami Dolphins, who are owned by Stephen Ross. He has a Harbaugh man crush on both Harbaugh's because he went to Michigan. He's a Michigan fanboy. He's on the board. But they just hired obviously uh, Brian Flores from the Patriots and they're starting this epic rebuild and there's no way they can get rid of Brian Flores after they traded away all his decent players. So I think the NFL interest in Jim Harbaugh is, is close to none. Now, if there's nine jobs sitting there open in, uh, you know, in, in, in six weeks in the NFL, you know, maybe does he get interest in one of them? Sure. Maybe. Is it a good one? Is it a job that's better than Michigan? No, it would be an NFL franchise that turns over every three years for a reason because it has bad ownership and it's dysfunctional. But the, the, the notion of Jim Harbaugh being this coveted NFL coach with teams beating down his door, I, I think has passed us by. I tend to agree with you, Pete. That said, I actually was pretty impressed with how they played in the second half against Penn State. Uh, they had a million chances to really win that game. And I personally think they're going to beat Notre Dame Saturday night. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. Uh, you know, it's a it's a coin flip pick em game. I've seen it, you know, one point spread both ways. I, I think it's a good game. The, the argument for Michigan in that game is this, Ross. If you are going to beat Don Brown's defense, you have to do it with explosive plays. And we obviously saw that with Penn State and K.J. Hamler. Penn State didn't actually gain a lot of yards on Michigan. They gashed them on giant plays. They didn't consistently move the ball. If Notre Dame has a weakness, it's skill on the outside and explosive skill on the outside. They have good players like Chase Claypool, but they don't have break-the-top-off players. And to beat a Don Brown defense, which is aggressive, blitzing, and designed to make you stumble at some point when you're either at the chains or behind the chains, you are not going to dink and dunk them down the field. Chip Long's offense is a little bit of that. They take what they can, they're given. They're given short-yarded situations. Don Brown creates so many explosive defensive plays. Um that you look at the way Ohio State beat him last year. It was either crossing routes that broke off or over the top. And I don't know if Notre Dame has that caliber of explosive athlete on the outside. 
That said, I still think Notre Dame is going to win. Uh, Notre Dame has a higher end defense, and I'm not convinced that one decent half of football on the road makes everything better. Like we're at the point now where we're, you know, we're, we're, we're getting excited about moral victories for Michigan, which is, you know, maybe if Indiana did that at Penn state, you could, you could get excited about it. But until Shea Patterson puts together a whole game, I, I don't really think, you know, that Michigan, Michigan has not been capable of beating good teams. They just haven't, they've beaten mediocre teams. They pummeled bad teams, but they've not been capable. I think it's one in nine against top 10 opponents. Uh, they have not proven to be capable of beating good teams. They do not have the, the the strategic ability to do that. And Jim Harbaugh has simply fallen on his face in all these games. And I don't think one inspired half of football on the road when you're down a bunch changes that. You know, that's a really good point, Pete. When you start to take solace or comfort in close losses like that, that's when you know your program's not, not where it should be. Um, did Lovey Smith save his job on Saturday, Pete, by beating Wisconsin like that? That was amazing. I, I hate to be a buzzkill, but I don't think so. I mean, the Lovey Smith hire was one of the worst hires in the last decade in college football, and it's unfolded exactly like we thought it has. He's been uninspired. He's recruited poorly. Illinois has really been completely irrelevant under Lovey these last four years. Um, he had money coming to him from Tampa, so to fire him last year would have cost him $12 million. It's only four this year. Um, I just really think Lovey Smith's been asleep at the wheel at Illinois for most of this time. And the, there, there is some affinity for him for, from uh, athletic director, Josh Whitman. I just don't know if this decision is going to be his or it's going to go come above him. I think people at Illinois are ready for a change. They know exactly what they have in Lovey Smith and, you know, a, a fumble late in the fourth quarter and then a disastrous third and five call by Paul Christ when he just sort of punted, I don't think is going to change the body of work of Lovey Smith, which is below, it's, you know, below mediocre. So, uh, look, Illinois could go in six and six and throw itself a party for throwing a bowl, but is Lovey Smith the answer for their long term? I don't think so. And I think this season will play out that way. Wow. Very interesting. You get a big win like that first time in however many years for Illinois. They stormed the field and he still might lose a job. They actually did some good things against Michigan, too, when they came back. We'll see. I guess it depends on how they how they finished the year. Speaking of Wisconsin, can they give, can they bounce back Pete and can they give the Buckeyes a game Saturday at noon? They can absolutely give the the Buckeyes a game Ross. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be in Columbus for, uh, for that tussle. And the number one thing uh, your listeners and viewers should watch for is the weather report in Columbus. It is supposed to rain and no one is quite sure now about uh, 24 hours from kick whether that's going to be biblical sideways rain or just general rain. And no one's quite sure when it's going to start. So obviously, if you're the explosive high-end Ohio State offense, this is something of concern. I would think Paul Christ is going to be in his hotel room in Columbus Friday night with some with some voodoo rain shakers trying to, trying to open up the clouds to uh, maybe level the playing field. Now, Ohio State just played on grass in the rain at Northwestern. They would obviously be in the rain on turf here. Uh, I think that could be a factor in the game. But look, Wisconsin imploding in the fourth quarter doesn't change the fundamentals of Wisconsin being a very good football team. Wisconsin is a top 15 football team. Uh, I, you know, they still have the best defense in the country. They are still going to be able to do the best job in blocking Chase Young with their personnel and their offensive schemes to try to neutralize the Ohio State defensive end, who I think is the, uh, the, the best overall player in college football and will be a top three pick. Uh, 
the issue for Wisconsin against Ohio State and the reason why they're one and nine in the last 10 games is this. And I will call it the point of attack theory, for, for lack of a better way to put it. When you are Stanford, when you are Michigan State and you are Wisconsin and you play the same way where you are not going to do anything with smoke, you are not going to do anything with misdirection, you are not going to essentially schematically trick anyone. Your strategy is based on blunt force at the point of attack, right? If you cannot win that point of attack, you are not going to be good. That is why Stanford's offense is slogging this year. They lost a couple offensive linemen. They don't have the same skill at the at the tailback and receiver position. The quarterback's been hurt, but they are not dominating people at the line of scrimmage. When your whole philosophy is based on dominance up front and you cannot dominate up front, you are going to struggle. Now, Wisconsin was obviously able to dominate up front against Michigan, which is why they jumped out to that, uh, I believe it was a 30 30- five to nothing lead. I don't think pound for pound, athlete for athlete, Wisconsin can dominate up front against Ohio State. Now, can Jonathan Taylor still scoot out for a couple big chunk plays? Absolutely. Can they move the ball against this Buckeye defense? Yes, it'll be their best test. But I do think Ohio State will be able to corral the momentum of this game as long as they can handle the rain and win by three touchdowns. But I think for Ohio State, you've got to be curious if you're the coaches. Okay, Midway through the third quarter, what's Justin Fields going to look like on a must-have third and four at midfield? You you haven't experienced those things yet. They haven't experienced drama in big games. And it's it's a little bit – Alabama got a taste of it against Tennessee the other night. They, they'd been a little bit this way. Clemson kind of accidentally got it at UNC, and I'm sure the coaches are now grateful for it because uh, eventually Ohio State's going to be tested. I think they will be tested to an extent this week, but that's the biggest question looming about them, Ross. All right, so uh, last one for you, Pete. It's Auburn. It's LSU. I guess, and I know LSU's on fire, and I get it. Still kind of surprised by the line. LSU's laying 11 and a half points. I mean, I, Auburn, I mean, by the way, Auburn's schedule. I feel like Auburn plays an awesome team every week. It's crazy. But I thought that was a little bit rich. Uh, am I off on this? A little bit rich, meaning you thought LSU would be favored by more? No, less. Les, oh, I'm surprised no, LSU's favored by 11 and a half. Yeah. Um, I mean, LSU is the best offense in the country right now, and they've just bludgeoned people. Uh, th- this would be an interesting test for LSU because I-, I feel like their defense is not the dominating LSU defense we stereotypically think of. They have one excellent pass rusher who will be a first-round pick, but they don't have the elite personnel up front. And defensively, Auburn has the best personnel up front that LSU is going to play this year. Auburn has the best defensive line in the SEC, uh, led by led by Derek Brown, the big tackle, who's a, who's a hoss. Um, so I really feel like in the trenches, this is going to be one of the first times that that, that LSU can find someone that will uh, that will knock them around back and forth a, a, a little bit. And then I don't know if anyone has the secondary to cover these LSU receivers. They're they're a ridiculous uh, collection of talent. So to answer your question on our podcast this week, Ross, on the Yahoo Sports College podcast, I picked LSU. I, I I really think that Auburn is at the point where the schedule is going to catch up to them a little bit. They still have a freshman quarterback, Bo Nix, playing on the road in the toughest setting in all of sports. So I, I really think LSU has proven enough this week that they can handle a higher-end SEC team. And, and, and don't worry about Auburn's schedule in November, Ross. It gets a lot easier. They only have to play Georgia and Alabama. <laughs> Uh, hey, I, I lied, Pete. I might have another one or two. I was just thinking this while we were yeah. talking, right? Every week for CBS, they have me do my uh, my Heisman picks, and I have 
you know, uh, Joe Burrow and Fields and Tua. You know, I was just thinking, uh, Pete, I know this isn't new, but I've watched a bunch of Ohio State this year. They're amazing, by the way. This, I, I, this is yeah. the best team they've had in a long time. Chase Young is clearly the best player in college football. So at what point does the Heisman Trophy get diminished when the best player in college football isn't even ever listed as a candidate anywhere? Yeah. Well, Ross, you'd be happy to know that astute Yahoo Sports readers would know that because this week I did a giant feature on Chase Young where I had three NFL scouts tell me that he is the best player in college football. Now, he may not be the number one pick, because anyone who's unfortunate enough to watch a selection of NFL franchises on Sundays knows there's a quarterback need in a handful of places that borders on desperation. And oftentimes that will trump talent uh, in, in the NFL draft. But, uh, you know, Ryan Day told me Chase Young is a can't-miss prospect. He has all the physical attributes, all the off-field attributes that go into being a, being a number one pick. He's a potential generational talent. He's 6'6". He might even grow to 6'7". His dad is 6'10". I spent some time with his parents. They're wonderful people. His dad looks like an NBA power forward from the 80s. He's 6'10". He's built <laughs> like Charles Oakley. I mean, he's, a, he's a, 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 a wonderful guy, but he is a mammoth, mammoth human being. Here's your fun fact, Ross, to take, uh, to take, away, uh, to, take away to the weekend. Uh, Chase Young is a junior, played at DeMatha Catholic High School, which you obviously have heard of. Uh, they, they have a very good football there, but they have elite, elite uh, high school basketball. And uh, Chase was a Chase was a backup four, and uh, there was a point guard on his team his junior year, a guy by the name of Markel Fultz. He ended up okay. He was the number one pick in the NBA draft out of Washington. So that was a, it was a, it's a funny little connection there that two guys on the same high school basketball team could both end up uh, as number one picks in different drafts. Uh, but Chase Young is, uh, you know, look, this is a showcase game for him noon on, on Fox on Saturday. If, if he forces a few fumbles in this sloggy kind of game, they're really going to need some stuff from him. Um, if he's able to uh, if he's able to dominate that game in the way that uh, Ndunkum Sue dominated games when he was a uh, when he was a college star at Nebraska, I think he has a window to usher himself into the conversation. Uh, I mean, look, you can't watch this guy and, and, and not be not be completely blown away by him. No, I'm, I'm with you. And, look, I, I follow some of the other guys. I think Epinesa from Iowa is excellent. I think Etor Gross Matos at Penn State, they're not on his yep. level. He's automatic, Pete. He's automatic every game, every time. I mean, I don't know what Northwestern was doing, not helping that poor right tackle. And then the, the kid overset him, gave him an inside move. I, I mean, but I didn't know that about his dad. It's funny. I'll, I'll give you a story back. When I was with, uh, I'm trying to think, must have been the Redskins, uh, Josh Wilson. Or no, this might have been after my career. Josh Wilson, a DB from Maryland that played in the NFL for a while. He went to DeMatha. And I asked him, or somebody asked him, you know, did you play basketball at DeMatha? Or did you start in basketball at DeMatha? He's like, if you start for the basketball team at DeMatha, you're pretty much going to the NBA. <laughs> That's how good they are. He's like, he's like no, I, I was on the team. I didn't start. If you start for us, you're going to the yeah. NBA. Yeah. Well, it was it was interesting about Chase that he was the backup for – he backed up a kid named Josh Carrollton who starts at UConn and is a really good player at a, at a really good program. But they actually let another kid, Mike Jones, the, the, the coach there, is a great uh, – you know, one of the elite high school coaches in America at DeMatha, told me, he's like, look, Chase should have played more, 
but like we had to get his backup a scholarship. So and we knew he was all set in football. So there was a little bit of a sense of we gave we gave some people who might not have deserved playing time over him, playing time over him. So we could we could help the you know, we could help our backup get some uh, get some looks. And it was interesting. His parents were like, we were glad, you know, he kind of struggled and rode the bench and had to go through that because that's like that's part of it. Um, they told me a story where after the Oklahoma game, the Baker Mayfield flag plant game, Chase's freshman year, he didn't play a snap. And they were like, you know, that was good for him. He had never not played a snap in a, in a, in a football game. And his parents really saw that as an important part of development, which I, which I think was a really good insight into, uh, into who he is. Um, I can give you one little like lineman strategic thing, Ross, because I know that's your jam. Uh, I, I watched some film of Chase in Jeff Halfley's office, who's the, you know, the, the star young defensive coordinator at, at Ohio State. And he showed me it was the Monday after Michigan State and he showed me some film and they Michigan State really started to aggressively chip and double uh, Chase Young, which, quite frankly, they should. So they, they moved him inside on the guard, which, by the way, they, they really like that matchup of him on a guard. And they took Baron Browning, who's an explosive linebacker, and put him on the edge where Chase would have been. So the, the, the poor right tackle from Michigan State knows the guard needs help, but obviously has this freakazoid five star coming off the edge at him, too. And so, uh, you know, Halfley slowed down the, the, the film for me. The, 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 the tackle reaches in to punch to help initially uh, at the start of the play. And Baron Browning flies off the edge and untouched just crushes Brian Lewerke. And I don't know if you watched that game, but it, it's like that the hit you remember three weeks later because you like have a visceral reaction to it because you're like, oh, that poor guy, he went untouched. But like when, when Halfley broke it down for me, it was this poor compromised right tackle chose to help on Chase Young, got himself out of position and got smoked on the edge and, and cost his quarterback. And that's the type of calculus that it, that type of talent does. Now, Chase Young didn't get a statistic for that, but everyone on the Ohio State defensive staff knew he basically caused that sack. All right, Pete. So when we end this, I'm going to let you plug everything you do a million times because every time you talk, I get another question in my head that I have to ask you. Uh, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a central Pennsylvania guy. Yeah. Lewerke, correct me if I'm wrong, two years ago, Lewerke was good. Like, Lewerke was good two years ago. Even last year, he lit up Penn State. That kid's gotten better, I mean, gotten worse each year. How does that happen? Like, two years ago, I thought he was like an NFL prospect. And then even last year, he still lit up Penn State. And now I looked at the stats for this year, and he's playing terrible. Yeah, you know, it, it was funny because I was at Ohio State the, the Monday after that game. They were really impressed by Lewerke. They thought he really hung in and kind of played quarterback was was the term that they used. And there were about five moments from that game, Ross, where you watched him and, and he really popped. But overall, he was not very good. And overall, this season, he has not been very good. And I really think you have to take a hard look at the Michigan State coaching staff. Developing college quarterbacks is something that happens so inconsistently throughout college football. And if you go back at Michigan State, I don't think Brian Lewerke has developed like quarterbacks that some other places have. And I don't think they put him in a position to to be developed, quite frankly. And I think Mark D'Antonio not changing his offensive staff and recognizing what you just pointed out, that the most important position on the field wasn't getting better under the current staff. I think that's one of the things that really puts him in the in the crosshairs. Now, that's a whole other conversation that we could go on forever about. But I really think that I would say less than 25 percent of programs in college football do a great job developing quarterbacks. I think guys go in and they stagnate and they transfer. I, I think 
we are at a point of systemic stagnation when it comes to quarterback development in college football. All right, Pete, last one. I promise this time. I promise. Because you said about the, that Chase Young backed up a kid at UConn. I got to ask you, what happens to UConn football now? Um, that That's a great question. I think they sort of, you know, teeter off into the independent irrelevance, you know? Like, I think they'll, you know, have a couple games a year where they'll play BC or Notre Dame or someone. I mean, they're an attractive independent schedule because they're an easy win to get to six, right? You, If you play uh, Central Connecticut, it, you know, it, you can't schedule another one double A. So I think that people are racing to bid to get them on the schedule in, in order to, you know, pad their win totals. And, and that becomes their lot in life, that they're a distraction on a Saturday. Look, I'm from New England. I, I grew up not that far from there. You, you, Connecticut and Massachusetts, where I live now, are not college football areas. They're not. College football, it, they are pro sports areas. Now, college basketball in Connecticut, absolutely. And what UConn did was basically shoved its football program to irrelevance to help its you know, struggling college basketball program. It's, it's a very, very simple equation. And I really think that for UConn, as an athletic department, it was a smart decision. By giving up big-time football, which they essentially did, they gave up the chance to go in conference realignment to get attached to the ACC. And I think it's just a sign in the world where there are only a handful of places where basketball is going to pay the rent and drive the bus. And UConn is one of those places. And they succumbed to that financial reality. And, and I completely understand it and appreciate it. It just sucks if you're on the team. Oh, my gosh. Pete, where can people listen to you and where can people see you? Um, obviously, you know, Yahoo Sports uh, under the college football tab. We uh, we have the Yahoo Sports College podcast, which you can download on Apple and all the other podcast uh, forums. That's myself, Pat Forty, and Dan Wetzel. We uh, we run up to, to a week and we promise to make you laugh every week. And uh, yeah, and then you can uh, you can look up my articles on uh, on, on Yahoo Sports. Ross. Pete, you're the man. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it all the time. Thank you. Safe travels to Columbus. If you're not already there, have a blast. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks, Ross. Appreciate you. All right. He is on it, man. Nobody knows college football more than him, and we know that, that that's why we hired him. We got him from ZipRecruiter. They don't depend on candidates finding you. They find them for you. Their technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. You can use ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter applicants so you can focus on the most relevant ones. That's how you can find whatever job you are trying to fill right now. It's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And that was a fantastic way to end the week. Little college football Coming tomorrow, get excited. There's even a good game tonight. Look for Briggs on TV tonight. USC versus Colorado. Maybe he'll be on TV. He doesn't get enough TV time on, on CNN or here on Home and Home. 
a radio.com sports original. We will be back Monday, everybody. Have a great weekend. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.